0: Welcome, friends, to another edition of the Out of Water podcast. I'm your host, Mark Lautenschlager, and in studio with me today is our pastor of spiritual formation, Reverend Sam Castensmith. And we are coming to the big, the big turn, the big bend in the Book of Ephesians, where Paul goes from writing about uh, their vertical relationship to talking about how that applies horizontally. What? How then shall we live? Is, how, is probably how I would put it, Sam. Would that be a? A fair statement?
1: Yep, I, I think that's right. Okay. When I was in seminary, they called the first three chapters the, the vertical indicative, and because they have to make everything sound more complicated than it actually seminary is. Seminary language, <laughs> vertical indicative, right. And then this became the horizontal imperative. So the first one is who you are in Christ, first three chapters, and the second half is, okay, now what do you do about it with each other?
0: I think that foundationally, though, that that's a um that's kind of how all these conversations need to go. Yeah, because if you start with all right, what are you supposed to be doing and you don't give them any understanding of why or how they're going to be able to do that? Yeah. It's very frustrating and, yeah. and, dis- and discouraging Just
1: makes religion feel like slavery. It
0: does. So, you know. Paul has spent a great deal of time telling them about God's plans for them and, and His plan from from even before the world was made to adopt them as sons to redeem them and all these these wonderful things we're going to be seated in the heavenlies and then describes the mechanism by which He accomplished these things. It's just all it, it really. We said last week in the in the episode last week that um, that Paul had been making these really amazing promises to them and it's hard sometimes to believe that they're true because we get caught in our In where we are now, like, oh, I'm I know I'm not really a great person. And so I have a bad view of myself. And yet, if you if you don't begin to uh, to adopt um, God's view of you.
1: Yeah, that's faith, too, by the way. It is. Yeah, I mean, it, take, it takes faith to to believe God is who he says he is, and it also takes faith to believe that you are who he says he, yeah. you are. Yeah, um, That you are a child of the king. You're adopted as a son. You have a seat in the heavenly places. You have this incredible nobility. You are perfectly radiant and righteous in the eyes of God. That takes faith to believe that.
0: Which that's an interesting thing because it's, it is um, – I think about people that struggle with that because there's people that come to the faith and they start going to church and they hear the gospel and they're like, yeah, I mean, I, mean, I, I know I'm, I'm need a savior and I'm, I can't save myself. And they understand all of that. And then they, they sort of get past that decision making moment and they struggle really hard with this idea that of, of how God views them and it because mm-hmm. they can't view themselves that way. Just again, going to personal experience for, for me, that was, and I've, I've said this before, that's what drew me to the Reformed faith because the system of, of doctrine and theology and the religious thought that I was in was telling me that I was basically responsible for my relationship with God after salvation. Right. Jesus died on the cross, paid for your sins, you get to go to heaven, it's a get out of, get out of hell free card if you believe in him. But now it's really on you and they would use phrases like God can't steer a parked car, you know, the, these sorts of things. And so that was the impression I had hmm. And that's really, in the end, what drew me to the Reformed faith was this idea that that God has had this sovereign plan for me and for everything since before he made the first star or planet. And that I I'm not a mistake and I'm not something that God doesn't, you know. And so that began to be able to work with the faith that I had which I think obviously was genuine, I hope yeah. <laughs> it was genuine, but it began to transform my ability to see those things and to believe those things, to believe that, you know what, God can use even me because God has always plans to use me.
1: Yeah, and it changes the way that you repent. You know, if if I believe that God smiling down on me is entirely dependent on me proving myself worthy, then when I fail, my response is, oh my God, goodness, you Sam, you're such a dirt ball, and you need to try harder, and you need to do better, and religion begins to feel like slavery. But if I believe what the scriptures are saying about me when I fail, the proper response in repentance is, and yet he's still faithful to me. He is mm-hmm. so rich in mercy. His mm-hmm. mercies are new every morning. His kindness, as the scriptures say, it's his kindness that leads me to repentance, that even still you see me as your son and nothing can be shaken. That makes me want to please him Mm. in response to that kind of goodness.
0: Yeah. One of the things that I uh, have appreciated about the pastors here is that they don't shy away from, you guys don't walk away from the question of suffering. There's times when God gives us uh, something where he, where we're going to suffer, you know, Mm -hmm. bad things are going to happen to us. And that's, and it is, it is by God's design as hard as that is to accept. Yeah. And, and, so, if you are not, I think, prepared for that, if you're not prepared for the honesty of, of that, um, there's times when people, what people want from religion is they want the feel good stuff. They want to be told that that you know God loves you, and that if you love God, and if you're a good person, and that God's a good God, that nothing bad is ever going to happen to you. That nothing, and yet it's in those moments where. Something bad does happen, and God gives us a very difficult path to walk. That's the point at which that sort of faith is really the only thing that can sustain you, is that belief that God is still going to be there for you, even in spite of all of that.
1: Yeah. When I look back at my life, and this is probably true for you, it's probably true for a lot of people listening, if not all people listening. Um, But when I look back, the rougher moments of my life where I felt like everything else was getting stripped away except for Christ, like he was all I had— those were some of the sweetest moments of my entire spiritual life where it was like you start realizing you know even in the in the in the midst of the pain he's enough yeah his love it becomes even bigger it's it's all you have so you grab hold of it more tightly and then you realize how sweet it is because you're not distracted with all these other things that you valued so much that may have been stripped away from you. And it's God's way. It's like C.S. Lewis says that God uses, and pain, that's when God breaks out the megaphone. You know, he shouts to us in our pains. That's when he communicates most clearly. Yeah,
0: You know, and I think we get accused sometimes of all you Christians have a story for everything, but we do have a story (laughs) for everything. (laughs) There's a reason for that. We do have a story for everything. It's a true accusation. It is a true accusation. But, um, you know... I sort of went through, um, well, let me just, let me say this before I say that. These times that you're referring to, these rough times and the things where, where it's really been sweet, your relationship with God at that time. I find that the further you get away from that, the more what you remember is, how, is, the, is what God did in that time. And mm-hmm. you kind of forget about the rough part, but you keep the the, the good part. You know, I, And now I'm going to tell a story <clears throat> to, to illustrate what I'm talking about. But, Last year, I was diagnosed uh, with congestive heart failure um, because I had allowed myself to get in bad shape. It's a self-inflicted wound. I'm not blaming anybody but me for it. Um, but I was diagnosed with congestive heart failure. And through that process, I had all kinds of tests, and I had all kinds of medicines that I'm on, and I'm doing pretty well now today. I am. Thank you for anybody that was concerned. Uh, <laughs> but at, as, as we were coming to the end of it, I was... Uh, all these tests had failed to eliminate whether I had blockages in a certain part of, a certain artery. And I was asking everybody to pray around here throughout the whole thing, and the staff prayed for me. It was really wonderful. But I remember going in for that last test, the actual, um, cardiac uh, catheterization, where they were going to go in there and actually look to see for sure what my situation was. And I remember sending an email in saying, guys, I- this is going to sound strange. I said, but I, here's what I want you to pray for. Number one, that when they get in there, despite all appearances to the contrary, I'm sure I'm going to have a blockage, I'm sure I'm going to have a stent or whatever, I want you to pray that when they get in there, that they're going to say, well, there's nothing to do here, you know? And then there were several other things, or if they don't, that I have the patience to, right. to recover and all these other things. And, and remember, you wrote back and said, all right, that's how I'm praying, <laughs> And I got in the operating room, and, and they're they're doing this catheterization on you. And, and if you've never had one of those, you're, you're, you're on a bed in an, an operating room where they're doing this test. And both arms are strapped down because they've got a big IV in one arm, and they're going in with this uh, catheter to inject the dye in the other arm. And all that you can see is these big uh, X-ray machines that are circling you because you can't even see any people because they're on the other side of all these machines. So I'm in this this – cloud of machines with my arms strapped down i can't move i can't do anything but lay perfectly still and they're doing all these weird tests and whatnot and i'm you know it's not the best afternoon i've had in my life
1: okay that does not sound enjoyable not
0: the best afternoon and from behind one of the big x-ray machines i hear the voice of my doctor saying well mark good news there's nothing to do here (laughs) we're getting out and there were no blockages all right What's the point of that story? The point of that story is that's what I remember. I remember that God answered a prayer. And you're like, well, whether you had a blockage or not was determined before you went. Yeah. Yeah. But by the same token, it was exactly what I asked everybody to pray for. And I feel so that's kind of what I took with me from that moment was that I had a peace from God that. Whatever happened, it was going to be okay, because people were praying for me, and I wasn't scared. (laughs) I wasn't scared. I wasn't having the best day, but I wasn't scared, because I knew God had it under control. And even if the answer was terrible, that's what God had given me. But the fact that what I heard were the words I'd asked people to pray for.
1: That's just God showing off.
0: It was God showing off. But it was, you know, and and again, I know, folks, you can believe that was coincidence if you want to. That's fine. Believe it was coincidence. I don't care. What I'm saying is that down the road now, a number of months, I've been in rehab, I've been taking my pills, I've been doing the right diet, I've lost a bunch of weight, I'm, I'm really in, I'm feeling great, I'm in good shape, everything's really coming out well, caught it in the right time, no damage to the heart, everything's good. But what I really remember about is not the fact that I couldn't breathe, not the fact that I was scared to death when I couldn't breathe, not the, all these things, but I remember that moment and that's what I take with it. And there were other moments of crisis in my life where Something had happened where, with uh, you told the story last week about your mom, who by the way was okay.
1: She she recovered. She forgot to mention that.
0: (laughs) So if you're listening last week, you heard the story
1: about Sam's
0: mom. She's okay. She got past that heart attack. Um, But you know something involving my mom and a medical scare. Okay, and there was an answer to prayer and all of that. And it's not that I can't remember the facts of my mom's scare. I can, but. I don't have a strong emotion associated with it, but I have a really strong emotion still, emotional memory of God answering prayers there. And I really think that that's the cool thing about walking through the tough time and then God delivers you. God delivers in some way, whether it's you grind it out and get through it or whether he pulls you up from it or whatever it is, Mm -hmm. but when you feel the hand of god and you sense his presence in the tough time Sam that's what you remember from it down the road
1: yep and last last week when we were talking about the last passage in ephesians chapter 3 you know yep. it's not so much the external things that you hang on to but you remembered being strengthened by the Spirit and your inner being. Mm-hmm. You remember the re- relational aspects of that story and how God was faithful and kind and even down to the wording that comes out of the doctor's mouth. Yep. That's just the kindness of God to you. Yeah. Uh, you know, a wink from heaven letting you know that he's with you.
0: And I had that sense of it. I did. I, I was I was calm going in there. I wasn't worried. Yeah. I was, I, you know, I was starting to freak out about it. I asked everybody to pray and people prayed for peace and, and I was okay. And, it, and you know, In my mind, I'm hearing the skeptics out there going, yeah, yeah, coincidence. I get you. You can believe that if you want. That's fine. But I went through it. And I know that I asked people to pray for me. They did. And and I could feel that peace. I knew that it was going to be what God wanted to happen, good or bad, that that's what was going to happen. And because of that, I went into that situation without fear and without, you know, I just knew it was, it was in God's hands. And when I heard the doctor say that to me, at that point, I said, and this is the follow on to that, I guess, is I, I said immediately, okay, now I know what I have to do. I can beat this. Mm-hmm. And that, and I've applied my life to that.
1: And, you know? and that's the importance of faith. And so like when you walk in there, because you're so grounded in Ephesians 1 to 3, right? when you go through those rougher circumstances, you walk with a confidence of knowing who God is and knowing who you are in Christ. Yeah. And so it makes all the difference when you walk through a, the road of suffering. And so like when we jump into Ephesians 4, that's exactly the way that Paul pivots here. He says, I therefore. And in seminary, you, you always used to hear, you know, when you see a therefore, you have to ask, what's it there for? <laughs> You know, so it's I therefore a prisoner for the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, and I love this. But here, where Paul says he's a prisoner for the Lord, and it translates it this way uh, in a lot of Bibles, but the the Greek word there that's for is actually in. It's en in the Greek. In you're a prisoner in the Lord, but everybody thinks, oh, that sounds weird, so we'll change it. And I, I take exception to this. I think it's, you know, all through Ephesians, all the promises of God are coming in Christ, right? You're adopted in Christ. You're mm-hmm. predestined in Christ. All the spiritual blessings come in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. And so here Paul is saying, okay, I'm moving forward into what we now do with this. I, a prisoner in the Lord. It's, it's like I am I'm just locked away in him i'm safe i'm secure, all those blessings are mine. it's my identity, and I'm so deeply entrenched within the fortress of my God that now I'm urging you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. so he takes that that idea of being in Christ and says, I'm never leaving this i am <laughs> i am I'm in the rock I'm not leaving I'm mm-hmm. bound in here
0: we've talked before about the fact that Paul in other letters uses language that means slave or bond servant describing himself right and um s- slavery is something that i mean it's never been a good thing but there were some but it wasn't always as people remember the african slaves and right. the evil that was done to them in american history um you know but there was back in those days there was a a sense in which a slave uh somebody who I mean, they were slave. They were bought at the market or they were captured in battle and they became a slave. If they were well treated by their masters and there were good masters in this Roman society and whatnot that they could choose when when they got to, you know, yeah. they, if they were offered freedom.
1: Yeah. Usually could, at the end of seven years. Right.
0: They could choose to stay, and mm-hmm. that's when they became this bond servant. They were still a slave. They, that's what they were, but they were one voluntarily, which is something that is a, I understand why that's an alien concept to Americans. When we hear that, all we think of is African slavery, which was pure evil. I mean, that's the end of that. Um, but with the, In this particular case, so I kind of picture that's how Paul's saying he's like he's like he's a prisoner of the Lord. I'm a slave to the Lord. I'm a prisoner in the Lord. It's like, but I chose to be
1: here. It's like the cell door is open and I'm not going anywhere. Right. (laughs) And and one of the one of the realities behind the way that the scriptures teach us, um, you are a slave, regardless of whether you want to acknowledge it or not. Like people here, I'm not a slave. You're a slave. You're a slave to something. So in every single person's life, there is some ultimate that they chase after that makes the rest of their life bend to its will. So you look at somebody who's got a deep addiction, everything in their life bows to that to that addiction. If you've got an idol out there, if you're chasing after money, your job, your kids, whatever, if there's some ultimate out there, you're bowing and serving. You're a slave to that role. Right. And what what Jesus comes, he says in in the gospels, you know, you can't serve two masters. You will love one and hate the others. You can't serve God and money. Right. You have to make one of them is always going to be your master. And so anybody who says, Oh, I'm not a slave, you're a slave. You just you may not have identified your master, but there's something in your life that is ultimately driving all of your allegiance that if it were taken away your life would be in shambles.
0: Now, Paul says that he, um, to, he's urging them to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which they've been called, just to help people with the, there's a bit of a religious phrase there, just because it's not, we don't normally use that sort of language. But the idea of to walk is this idea of it's the entirety of their life, correct? Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. it's like saying, yeah. in, in everything that you do, be worthy of the calling that you have.
1: Yeah, that's right. And, and everything. That's right. The walk... It's I just trying a, to think of the expression.
0: Yeah, it's just a term that we don't use. Like, we wouldn't say, Sam, how's your walk today, man? And you'd be thinking, walk? Did I go for a walk today? <laughs> because we think too literally about it. But that was, a, that was a term that to say how someone walked in those days was a way of saying, how they were in everything, because let's be honest in the first century, you walked everywhere. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you walked everywhere. There was no point that you did anything but walk, you know, and with every, and, and with it, and anything that was further than a day's journey, that was a, we mounted a caravan to get there. So, uh, but that's just what it's talking about when he says it. Um, and, and there's another interesting thing in here as, as I was doing my uh, little exegetical reading in it, Um, the word urge isn't really the right. I wouldn't put it urge because urge sounds like, Hey Sam, you ought to really eat better and exercise. I'm urging you to eat better and exercise. Okay. That's not what this is talking about. The, the word that's used there means, With everything that you have, and do not delay. Hasten, go now. Do it now. It's like I'm not just urging you the next time you get up to take care of it. I'm telling you, get up off the couch right now and go do that.
1: Yeah. (laughs) So it's it's
0: way more of an imperative there than just hey hey. I urge you to do this, man. I'm urging you. Please, I'm urging you. No, he's saying I'm telling you start on this right now. Yeah. Do it right now.
1: And it's it gets back to the beginning of this. I therefore, what's the therefore? It's it's. In light of everything that Jesus has done for you, because if you read chapters one through three, this is not small potatoes. This is life changing, world changing, high urgency, the whole eternal purpose of God laid out in chapters one to three. And so then the transition of what you do about it is, is not going to be. And if you want to, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's like this has eternal, significant weight right. to it. This is this is God's design for your life walk in a manner worthy of the calling. And so I love, before you jump to verse two, it's it's not go- then going to throw a bunch of go do this, go do this, but it's with all humility and gentleness, with patience and bearing one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. And it's like, okay, so the to-do list or the the action steps of walking in a manner worthy of this calling is humility and gentleness, and patience, Mm. and and bearing with one another. Well, where do we get that from? Well, it's in light of the first three chapters, because God has come and expressed the most radical kind of humility. (laughs) You know, God emptied himself out and became a servant. He didn't come after me to punish me like I deserved. Instead, he comes to me, and he's remarkably gentle with me. You know, he says in in the gospel of Matthew, I'm gentle and lowly in heart. He's he is all of these things that he's calling on us to be. So he's he's asking us to kind of walk after him. That, you know, we might be able to lord over others and we might think we're more powerful and better and everything. It's like, no 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 no. What do you do with that? With all humility. And gentleness, with patience and bearing with one another, taking up someone else's burdens, you know, putting up with the stuff that they do to annoy you in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace, and Paul again is off to the races in the runoff sentence <laughs> <You, the> run on <laughs> sentence. But but that's hmm. the kind of upside down view of the Christian is the way to greatness is through humility.
0: I think that it's interesting to me, too. uh, I made a note here about these being the the traits of unity and peace as opposed to the actions of unity and peace, because if I were going to. If I were going to prescribe the things that we should do, you and I should do in order to preserve the unity and peace between us, mm-hmm. right? We work together a lot. So I want to be want to be at peace with you. So what should I do? Well, I could come up with a big list of things like for example, I should never feed you sushi. That's not <laughs> going to maintain the peace between <laughs> that us. That is
1: correct. That's,
0: we saw that today. Um but but there's just my I could give you a whole list of things that I shouldn't do and a whole list of things that I should do. Or I could say I want you to be humble. I want you to be gentle. I want you to be patient. Because now all of a sudden, and have forbearance, because all of a sudden, that covers this enormous range of actions. What would a humble mark do? Well, I would make sure that I put you, your needs in front of mine. That would be a, a humble thing to do. I'd be more concerned about what's going on with you than what's going on with myself. If you're having a bad day and I was being gentle, I would offer a gentle response and an encouraging response. I wouldn't, I would, you know, those kinds of things. So, Instead of giving us this big laundry list of things like, okay, so walk in a manner worthy of your calling. What does that mean? Here's a list of 4,000 things (laughs) you ought to be doing or not doing. Instead, he's giving us these traits, these character traits, these principles that are an outgrowth of what God's doing on the inside of us. That was the point of last week is that all of these things, the strengthening in our inner man is producing these traits Mm -hmm that are going to lead to all of these actions without meeting the laundry list.
1: Yeah. Humility is the gateway to every single virtue in the Christian walk. Humility is the gateway. I like that. That's good. That's, a, that's good. Them. That's profound. And, <laughs> and on the flip side of that, I remember when I was teaching, we used to do an exercise where I called it the tree of sin. And so we would have roots and a trunk, and then it would come up, and then the branches were all the Ten Commandments. And I would say, okay, how do you break the Ten Commandments? And we'd come up with you know dozens and dozens and dozens of ways that you can break each of them. And I said, what's the root cause of why you violate any of these Ten Commandments? And we came down, and so at the end, we found out that every single one, every single sin that you could ever commit, is rooted in self-obsession and pride. Yeah. And so whereas every virtue comes through humility, every mm. sin comes through pride. And so the, the end of that exercise, just to, to tell you where I'd go with that, is how do you keep sinful fruit from growing on your tree? Because what we want to do is say, you know, like Paul doesn't say, stop doing this and stop doing this. Walk in a of manner worthy of your call. Stop doing this and that and this and right. that. That would be like plucking the fruit. We pluck the fruit one at a time. What's going to happen? It grows right back. Right. The way that you get rid of sinful fruit growing in your life is to dig up the roots. Right. You got to dig up the roots. And what are the roots? It's self. It's pride. It's the selfishness, the self-obsession, that inward bent that we talked about a couple of weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And then to be planted in Christ and to walk in humility of recognizing that everything you have and everything you do is ultimately by His grace and His okay. mercy. And then... You produce pretty incredible virtues in your life.
0: But the one thing that you had in your notes here that I really thought was cool was this idea that G, what, how Jesus described himself. Because if I was going to say, who do I think was the model of virtue that we're supposed to follow? Well, obviously it's Jesus. I mean, yeah. he, he lived, we have the story of his life in the gospels and, and in, and in, in, in the New Testament. And, and so we have an example. We have his words. We have his actions. And, and you look at this and you're like, well, this was, a, this was a man who was truly humble, put mm-hmm. everybody in front of himself. And what you quoted from uh, Matthew 11 there, I love that. Mm-hmm. Um, he calls himself that he is gentle and lowly in heart.
1: I just that's God speaking. I'm gentle, lowly in heart. Yeah. You know and, and what he's actually doing there, um, in the Old Testament, there's a, the king, Rehoboam, it's actually Solomon's son. Mm-hmm. and Solomon had done this massive building campaign throughout Israel and so when he dies you were talking about that on on, on uh, Wednesday yeah. the truth on earth it was like he built
0: every everything so all yeah. these buildings all these amazing. cities
1: buildings temples and when he's done the people are like oh we're exhausted please give us rest and they go to king Rehoboam and they say please give us rest your father worked us too hard and Rehoboam goes to seek counsel and he goes to these older guys you know the elders and and they say and give them rest. If you show them love and you give them rest, they'll serve you for the rest of their lives. They'll do anything, yep. yeah. and then he goes to the younger, you know, the college frat boys, that, <laughs> you know, that, and they're like, they're questioning you. You need to drive them into the dirt. You need to increase the weight of their yoke. And so he goes back to them and says, you know, get away from me. I'm going to drive you into the dirt. You thought my father worked you hard. I am going to put an even heavier yoke on you. And so when Jesus comes, like this is, when we talk about walking in a manner worthy of the calling, this is our leader. This is God himself saying, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I'm way better than Rehoboam. Take my yoke upon you, the king's yoke, and learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. And what does Jesus do? The ministry of Jesus brings everybody together together. It gives rest. It's gentle. It's lowly. It's humble. It's inviting. Rehoboam, when he says, You know who I am, I'm going to drive you down. I'm going to require more of you. When he lacks that humility and gentleness, it actually splits the kingdom of Israel and it will never be unified again, ever, because he comes to the people and he's not gentle and lowly in heart like our Savior is. Mm.
0: i'm really glad that the last thing in the list of four there is bearing with one another in love or forbearance because there's going to be a lot of times when we don't do the humility (laughs) and gentleness thing very well i mean and there's no question that i know that i should and yet there's times when i so many times where that's just the not the first impulse out of me and uh and so i I'm, i'm grateful for the times that my fellow brothers and sisters here will show me forbearance. Yeah. And I will say this and, and I'm not, this is going oh to sound like bragging again. I was telling stories. Now it's all like I'm bragging, but it is the impulse more than it used to be.
1: Yeah. You're growing.
0: Yeah. 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 And, uh, you know, I, it's not my, it's, it's not, you know, I can still have the wrong, I can get off on the wrong foot. I can have the wrong impulse. But when I catch myself at it, I'm quick to turn away from it. And it's not always my first impulse. And and that's a lot different than I was as a young man.
1: But you know what, what's really wonderful when it talks about bearing with one another in love? When I do something that that legitimately annoys someone else or I've I've really hurt them or wounded them. And it's like I feel this weight in me. I feel that this relationship's broken. I feel like I've got this dirt on me that I can't get off. You know? When I go back to that person and they receive me in love and everything is wiped away, it makes me love them even more than I did before. It does. It it like grows our relationship exponentially when they have an, it's like, you know, they have a knife that they could just put right through me and they'd be justified, but they set it down and forgive me and embrace me, you know. It makes me trust their love more it, yeah. that shows me that their love for me is not conditional on me being good enough because i 've failed here i 've messed it up and yet they receive me back again. It makes it grows our love for one another when we bear with one another yeah
0: well and i 'll give you the best example of what I can think of. Uh, how many times has your wife done this for you?
1: Maybe a couple times. <laughs> <laughs> I
0: mean, it's something that, I, you know, if I think about all the times that my wife has forgiven me for something that I'm like, just.
1: It's, it's pretty much a couple times per day. Per day. okay. At, at, at minimum. A couple of big times per day.
0: <laughs> but I'm just saying it's something that it, it makes us love them all the more. I for know, sure. I know it makes me love my wife all the more, that she has. Uh, That she has stuck with me and and loved me and forgiven me through these different things. And it's no different with, you you know, with each other. It's no different with, it's no different with God.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: When we come to that point that we're like, oh, we, you know, I cannot believe that I've done that. The first thing to know is that God forgives you. Mm -hmm. And he he forgave you already for that, which is not a license to do it, but it is a path to recovery from, that's where you start. You start with- You know, you you confess it, you believe that God has forgiven you, and then we confess to each other,
1: you know? yeah. And one of my my favorite things in these verses is uh, when it says in verse 3, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. My favorite word in that verse is maintain. And it's kind of a surprising thing, but when you hear that, you're maintaining the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And so it's like if you call yourself a Christian— then by the power of the Spirit, we already have unity, Mm -hmm. right? We're brought into this fellowship in Christ. He has accomplished that unity, not us. And we're just called to maintain something that he has already provided to everyone who calls upon his name.
0: I think that it's also… It's not on us. It's not on us. And it's also that we're to be eager to maintain Mm
1: -hmm. the unity of the Spirit.
0: It's not, you know, okay, he doesn't just say… To maintain the unity of the spirit, but it eager. tells you that you need to be eager to that, uh, you know, meaning that's something that you need to look to first. It's not the last thought; it needs to be your first thought. Yeah, your first thought is what can we do to maintain the unity of the spirit? Uh, that's good. I like this, and you know, maintain. I hadn't really thought about that, but that's true. It's like that we don't create it; mm-hmm. we're not the reason for it. It's given to us, and then we're just supposed to not mess it up. <laughs> and
1: when we mess it up, and when we, we mess- bear with one another in <laughs> love. <laughs>
0: So, um, verse four and five and six, because I kind of saw them all together. I saw. There's like, a
1: period in sight. There is a
0: period in sight. <laughs> when I was looking at this, though, I was thinking that, that what I saw were three threes. Hmm. You know, there's one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God who is over all and through all. So God, that is, that's, he's father of all, over all, through all. I just saw three sets of threes. and
1: Hold on, I'm uh, counting seven. Okay. So one we, body, one, one spirit, spirit, one hope. hope. There's three. One, one, Lord, Lord, one Lord, one faith, faith baptism. one baptism. Okay,
0: God and father of all.
1: So but the one God and father, that would be another one?
0: Well, it's an and. It's one God and father of all. He's father of all,
1: over all, through all. Are you, are you saying the threes are the ones? The, I'm like, butchering this <laughs> for us. butchering this
0: for us. Well, okay. What are I, the I threes? Mean, could, I, I said he's – I saw one body, one spirit, one hope. Okay. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. So we're good to there, right? Okay. All right. And then so, God
1: is over the threes. Well,
0: and, and but, he, but he's over all, through all, and in all. So there's mm-hmm. another three there at the end of it. You know – it was you that got me started looking for numbers of threes. <laughs> you were the one that always started with that. You're like, okay, well, and then three days later, and then three days, look, it's three days, and look at these three days. Hmm. And so I always end up looking for threes whenever I break down a passage of Scripture. Should I not be doing that? Isn't that a thing that you told me to do? What You told me to do that once.
1: You did. Yeah, so long as it's right.
0: Okay. <laughs> but I do. I see these groups of threes. Hmm. And then let me just say, I think that God understands the human mind, having designed it, and he knows that if Laura calls you and says Sam stop at the church on the stop at the church stop at the store on the way home and get eggs milk and bread you're like got it eggs milk and bread she's got a pretty good chance of getting eggs milk and bread if she says and cheese as soon as the fourth thing comes in Sam is bringing home a pork roast you got no idea
1: <laughs> you know what i'm saying if Laura might tell you that the the chances aren't all that great with the threes even <laughs>
0: <laughs> but it's, I feel like I can remember three things, and so it's just I don't know why that is. I've got like a puppy. A, yeah. <laughs> okay. But you know, it, just this idea that there's there's one body, one spirit, and and call to one hope that belongs to your call. Um,
1: yeah. So he's it's clear that he's emphasizing this idea of so, ones. So for we have sure. three
0: threes and seven ones. That's there good you go, because we have three, and then you got seven, which is the other That's number. The that perfect we number, learning. right? It that is. So threes and sevens in here. Look at that.
1: So you've got one, so that's, I mean, just pulling them out. You've got one body by one spirit with one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father who's over all, through all, and in all. And so uh, reading through, like, what, what is Paul getting at? What is he driving at when he's emphasizing all these ones? I think, you know, maybe first he's emphasizing the exclusive nature of the Christian faith. There's just, there's just one hope. There's one body, there's one spirit. Yeah. So the, so the notion that yep. you know there's multiple ways, multiple gods, multiple hopes. No, there's one hope. And so it, it's lifting up this idea, this truth that Christianity is exclusive. There's there's only one there's only one pathway to the Father and that's through the Son. And all of this is Jesus is the pathway to it. Jesus is the body. Jesus will, you know, faith in him brings the spirit he is our hope he's the one lord the faith one faith in him one baptism in him and he is the way to the father the one father and so it's it's laying out this idea that christianity is exclusive but one of the the one of the paradoxes in the fact that christianity is exclusive and there really is only one hope is christianity at the same time is the most inclusive religion on the face of the planet you know, it's, it is open to uh, every gender, every race, every nationality, uh, regardless of whether you're rich or poor, what kind of position or power you have. It doesn't matter whether you're an, an upright moral person or if you're a prostitute or a drunkard. This faith is available to every single person on the f- face of the planet, but there's one faith and one hope, mm-hmm. and it's through Christ and so at the same time where it's the probably one of the only religions uh, certainly at this time that's available to every single person under the sun of all stripes and races and sexes genders all that at the same time you do have to grab hold of the one faith
0: mm. hmm. yeah i know that there's a there's a desire i think that people have to say that faith should be this intensely personal thing and by that they mean relative what mm-hmm. works for me doesn't work for you and It's one of those things that the Bible just is unequivocal. Mm -hmm. There is one way. There's just one way. Now, when somebody says, why is that? I'm like, because that's what God said. You know, I I can't offer you a reason beyond that's what God said, because that's all the reason there is. It's all the reason that you need. But it does have kind of call to the question of if there was an easier way, wouldn't God have taken it?
1: Absolutely <laughs> you know and and the other part of that that people don't think about, and this I remember when this first hit me, it was in, in the middle of teaching a high school class and a conversation with students and and the question came up, you know, well, what if there are these other ways? you know it's kind of like all all roads lead up the same mountain, you know all faiths right. will take you to the same place, and in that conversation, it was said, if that's true, then the Christian story is monstrous. It's awful. And the conversation went on and it was like, okay, so you're telling me that God and this story takes his son, sends him into the world, allows him to be betrayed, mocked, spat upon, whipped, scourged, crucified on a cross, utterly forsaken, tortured, and he dies. And then God looks at humanity and says, or you could just do this. Yeah. <laughs> You know, if yeah. you're saying <laughs> that Christianity is just yeah. one one option, then what does that say about the character of God? That when His Son is in the Garden of Gethsemane he's saying, "God, if there is any other way, right, please don't let this happen. Please let this cup pass from me," and the answer is pretty clear: there is no other way. Right. There's one hope, one faith, and he, it's the man who hangs on a cross. Yeah.
0: You could bring whatever philosophies you want to it, and it just doesn't matter.
1: Yeah, yeah. And the other part of this that I love, when he's going through all the ones, I I was listening to a sermon from uh, Tim Keller, who's a pastor up in New York. And when he was preaching, one of the things he said was, you know, the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Peter, St. Augustine, Aquinas, Calvin, Spurgeon, all these guys had the same list of ones, You know, one body, one spirit, one hope, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father overall, all of them were operating in the same system, and God used them mightily, Mm -hmm. and we have access to the same bunch of ones. (laughs) And so, depending on how eager we are to be emptied out of our own selfish ambition to allow God to operate through us, that one spirit is at work in us, that one hope is in us, that one faith, in us, the one God and Father, in us. Right. And so it puts us all where we share this commonality, hmm. but it also opens up that, hey, if God could do that through them, I've got the same access to all these ones.
0: Hmm. Well, <clears throat> looking at your notes, and I can see your notes, we should move on to the next section because we're going to be here for a minute. <laughs> um, verse 7, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. So Paul is quoting here, right?
1: Right. He's quoting, actually, from from Psalm 68, and you kind of have to take a mental picture here. Um you know grace is given to us Christ is is giving away all these gifts and it says when he ascends on high he leads a host of captives and and he gives gifts to men and when it says that he ascended there's this parenthesis where it says he ascended what does that mean but that he also descended so it's, the question is if he if he's god who has reigned and it's telling us that he ascended Well, he's not ascending from the heights of heaven. It means that he is obviously descended at some point into the lower regions of the earth to once again ascend back to heaven. Mm -hmm. And so it says, he who descended is the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And so it's telling us that God has come down in this psalm. But when you read the psalm, this is what it says. So this is King David. In Psalm 68, he says, the chariots of God are twice 10,000. And so that has specific meaning for David that's pretty cool, because back in the day, people used to sing of David, he has slain his tens of thousands, and King Saul has only slain his thousands. And so when they right. would praise David above King Saul, they were talking about how he had done things with 10,000. And here David is saying, the chariots of God are twice 10,000, thousands upon thousands you ascended, and this is where he says, you ascended on high, leading a host of captives in your train and receiving gifts among men, even among the rebellious, that the Lord may dwell there. So let's stop there. It's saying that, that this God, who's got all these heavenly armies, twice 10,000s, the numbers of chariots, thousands upon thousands... You ascended on high, and then there's this picture of him having his train, the train of his robe that's hanging back, and all of his captives are being brought up with him, and he is receiving gifts from among men, even the rebellious, that the Lord may dwell there. And so in the ancient world, we know this, that when a king conquered another nation, he would go to the conquered king, and he would take that king's robe, and he would cut a section out of it, And then he would stitch it into his own robe. And so a really long train of a king's robe meant that he had conquered many, many nations, right? And so when it's saying that he is ascending into the heavens and all of his captives are in its train, that's the idea. The train of a robe meant nations that you had conquered. Um, What do you think it means that he changed
0: the wording there where it says, uh, in Psalm 68, it says, uh, receiving gifts among men. And yeah. then in, in Ephesians, when Paul quotes it, he says, and he gave gifts to men.
1: Yeah, this is where this passage is just, I love this. It's so it's so beautiful to me. But here, you when David is describing God, he's describing him as he is, that he's got all this power and he's worthy to receive all the gifts of men. But then when Paul comes and he quotes this back to us, he he tweaks it just yeah. a little bit. And this is the idea. This God is so powerful. He's got twice, 10,000 chariots, right? But God leaves the chariots in their stables. When he comes down, he doesn't come down to slay, but to be slain, And he comes down, and he conquers sin and death, and he conquers our hearts, and he puts those conquered hearts in the train, wrapped up in who he is, and he destroys sin, and he destroys death, and he grabs hold of us, and he ascends and takes us out of the pit to heaven. And there, this is what I love, he doesn't receive gifts, he gives them. Mm. And so at the beginning of this, in verse 7, it says, "'But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of the gifts.'" And in the Psalm it's saying, even the rebellious are giving him gifts. But in the gospel, now you have God who's giving gifts to the rebellious. Mm. It's it's just his mercy and his kindness. It's it's stunning. And and once again, by the way, Paul is telling us, you know, remember when he says, I'm a prisoner in the Lord? It's saying that if you're ascending with Christ, guess who you guess who you are? Mm. You too are a captive. You are are a prisoner, but you are being brought up into the heights of heaven. You're ascending with him and he is showering you with gifts as and, his captive.
0: And when David is referring to, he led the captives, a host of captives in his train. Those were people that were going to captivity.
1: Yeah. And, totally. yet,
0: and here, when it says that he led a host of captives, we're going to freedom.
1: That's right. So when so, Paul, I mean, when, the whole thing is, it's is, is beautiful.
0: it is, it's the whole thing is, like, it's like a mirror image of it almost. Mm-hmm.
1: Except it's and it's here. God is just entirely selfless. He's right. just so good and so kind, and and He's pouring out all these blessings on people that were once His enemies, hmm. that He has conquered in kindness and has brought with Him to glory.
0: So when it says that grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift, again I just keep getting caught up with this phrase "according to," because. Mm-hmm. there you know it's not according it's according to the measure of Christ's gift and and that's something that kind of sticks with me on this because none of these things are based on me. None of these things, like grace was given to each one of us, not based on how good we were, not based on anything that we had done, not based on even how much grace we needed, but it was given to us according to the measure of Christ's gift. And there's so many times in Mm -hmm. Ephesians where Paul makes that point is that what's being given to you is not based on your performance. It's not based on, it's based on God. It's based on Christ. It's based on...
1: How do you yeah. measure the power of the cross? I mean, it's saying that's yeah. Christ's gift, right? So the power behind the cross. The power of the cross, God being crucified on a cross to redeem you, what would that not pay for? What, yeah. would, what would that not? It's, it's infinite in yeah. value, yeah. and it's according to that infinite payment that you receive the gift of grace. It's yeah. measureless. Like, you, you'll never run out of it. Mm. It's really, really cool. Mm. And so there's there's also, Paul loves this idea of the victor leading captives in procession. And that in the Roman world, when Gentiles read that in the first century, they've got something very, very clear in their mind. In 2 Corinthians, Paul will talk about this, and he says, But thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. And so here's you have another picture of Christ who's leading us in this triumphal procession. And the word there that he uses for triumphal procession is strombeo, it's a, it's an old word but it was known in the ancient world and so when a when a general would go out into this battle and he would conquer foreign nations on his way back to Rome They would they would be in Rome, and they would hire professionals to go throughout the city and get everybody whipped up into a frenzy because they were going to give him a parade that was called a triumph march. Mm -hmm. And on that day, that general would be allowed to wear all the regal attire and the robes and the crown and everything of a king, even before, even back when Rome didn't have a king. Right. And they would get all this regal attire. There would be somebody behind him who's holding a crown over his head. And they would bring back all the plunder of this the kingdoms that they'd conquered. They'd spread out flowers and spices on the roads. They'd bring back these exotic animals. And the Roman army would come through and they would march over top of all these spices, which would give the fragrance of that land because they're walking on top of it. And the, the fragrance would spread out throughout the crowd. And then would come the king. And when they saw the king coming, or the, the general who's being exalted for that day as a king they would go absolutely berserk, Mm. and they would just start screaming, triumph, 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 and they would have wagons going by where they were reenacting the most embarrassing scenes of the battle where the general had shown courage, but the enemies were humiliated, and behind the king would come the conquered royal family, and they would be lifting their crown toward this general. They'd be lifting their armament. They'd be lifting their weapons and they would be offering them in a posture toward the king and behind them came all the captured soldiers and people some of them according to historians would be carrying crosses some of them would be on their way to be auctioned into slavery and when Christ when the when the scriptures come and says that Christ leads us in triumphal procession that doesn't mean we're the soldiers that means we are the captives mm. We are offering up our crowns. We are laying down our weapons. We are on our way to give our lives mm. in the slavery. We're carrying our crosses. The imagery that's associated here is amazing, but here's what's even more amazing is the one who's conquered us <laughs> shelters us. Mm. He goes to the cross. He gives us all the privileges. He takes the humiliation. He is the one who lays down his crown and takes up our shame and suffering. Why? So that we can be honored as the royal ones, so that we get our triumph march. He took the shame so that in the crowds of heaven, we hear triumph. Hmm. He takes the shame. I love how this picture is turned on its head. It's, it's really wonderful.
0: It's a good example of why um, when you have Old Testament verses that are quoted in the New Testament, you should take the time to go back and read around that. Don't, mm-hmm. just, don't just take the verse that's quoted, but go back and read that section so you understand what's going on there. You have the context mm-hmm. of it because it really does become a lot more rich when you consider the imagery that, that Paul was calling back to. You know? and, and I think that obviously the people that were reading this, they would have known that they would, yeah. certainly the Jews would have known David's writing from the Psalms.
1: Yeah, and so one of the cool things, it, when, it, when you say, you know, the, the, in the Old Testament, in the Psalm 68, it says that he receives gifts, but Paul says, no, he, he gave gifts. Right. Well, that doesn't make Psalm 68 untrue, but what Paul is clarifying is, you received the gift before you gave it. You follow? Like, I had to receive the gift of grace. I had to be made alive with Christ. I had to be raised from the dead spiritually. And now I want to live as a living sacrifice, offering up gifts to my king. Mm. But it's because he gave first.
0: (laughs) That's good. You know, that's one of those really profound things. You read passages like this, and the language is so big. It's such a grand picture that it doesn't feel normal like we're we're mm-hmm. we're regular guys going to do, going to work and going home and you know you gotta walk the dog and empty the trash and just whatever it's just life is this normal <laughs> thing you don't think of yourself as being in this triumphal parade and everything else and, and these things coming in yeah
1: so uh, and there, there is some sense in which when you read all these things about God they they don't do him justice like there's <laughs> there's no way that the human mind can imagine. God, and do him justice, right? And so when we read this, we can read about a conquering general coming through a town. It doesn't do, the metaphor doesn't work. God's so much greater than that, right? Yeah. And yet you're talking about like we go through our kind of humdrum lives and we're taking out the trash and we got to get up and get ready for work. And it's like, man, I don't feel like a triumphal procession. Sure don't. But in, with if you had spiritual eyes, the spiritual eyes of faith to see what your life is accomplishing with eternal weight. hmm you would see that your life is far more meaningful than you give it credit for. Hmm. But you got to have those spiritual eyes. you got to have faith yeah. to be able to see yourself as God sees you. Well, the
0: clock on the wall says it's time for us to talk about verse 11. <laughs> 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 and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So is, are these speaking of formal offices Is that what it's talking about here, when it lists all these different jobs?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it can. I think it can be talking about those, but it's also, you know, a style of gifting. So... You know, I don't. A prophet doesn't necessarily. If you walked around saying, "I'm a prophet of God," people are going to walk away from you and be. (laughs) They're (laughs) going to be a little scared of you. You're going to get Baker Acted. That's all we're saying. Yeah, but but there's lots of people who have prophetic gifting. You do. You know, like you can you can tell somebody a hard thing and and, in love, and that's kind of what a prophet does is he speaks to culture and calls it to, um, and to truth, right? And when Um, he
0: and 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 speaks God's word. Yeah, you know, that's, that's right. That's the thing. That's right. so you know, yeah, not
1: necessarily somebody who's predicting the future, but right. that's what a prophet is, is somebody who's speaking the Word of God. Yeah. Um, and then you get to shepherds and teachers, and you know, like that's, that's literally pastors, but I know tons of people with gifts as a shepherd that aren't called to ordained ministry or they don't run a church. My wife is a total – she has this gift in spades. She is such – a shepherd and pastor of people, mm-hmm. um, she can take somebody and walk them through seasons and counsel and and love them through things. And she's a remarkable teacher. She's got incredible insights. Um, and so you don't have to hold a formal office to have these gifting. And you might you might have gifting as an evangelist. I mean, so I mean it's, these aren't defined. Isolated offices. Right.
0: So this isn't going to be like, we're not going to have to start calling you Apostle
1: Caston Smith. Well, maybe.
0: Okay. All right. Just checking. Um, <laughs> yeah, that
1: would not go well. That would not I'm go well. I am not an apostle. Yeah.
0: So, but it is. So it's talking about the the gifts that God gives and that he gives them to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And that's something that I think is also useful for the church to hear because the the church looks toward professional ministers to say, you guys are supposed to be doing ministry. And they are. Ministers Ministers will do the work of ministry. But that means that the work of ministry can only be done in however many ministers you have. You know, we've got, uh, you know, we've got a handful of pastors here. So that means that ministry could be occurring in a handful of places at once. But if they follow this, where they equip the saints, the, that is the believers, the church—you know, people in our church who are followers of Jesus Christ, equip them to do the work of ministry, now all of a sudden ministry is happening in hundreds of places right. instead of a handful of places.
1: Yeah, and so when it says, for building up the body of Christ, that next verse says, until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to maturity, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ— so what's, the, what's the, the point of all of these offices or giftings is to equip the saints for the building up the church so that we all attain to the fullness of Christ, essentially. And so, I mean, can you imagine if our church was so discipled and so mature in their faith that we all attained to the stature of the fullness of Christ Huh. We would, I mean, we'd radically change South Florida. And that so true. if you're listening to this and you don't consider yourself in professional ministry and therefore you don't have to take all of this stuff too seriously, that's not what the Bible says. Right. The Bible is calling you all to attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to maturity, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So you've got a ways to go. Hmm. <laughs> that's that's the good news is, is until you get to glory, there's work to be done. Yeah.
0: Um, and it says that uh, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful scheme, rather. Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. We're looking for a period here from (laughs) whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And the thing that jumps out at me most here is this idea that this is being done. All of this is happening to protect us from ourselves. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because apart from this maturity, apart from this unity of faith this, and this knowledge of the Son of God that leads to maturity. So I think people come, attend a church and become part of a church on a lot of different levels. There's people that come on Sunday morning and then we have the, the what do they call them? The Creasters, the Christmas like, and Easter's, the oh. Creasters. <laughs> I've never a, heard that before. ever heard that? C-H-R, East-mas. Easter. It's, yeah. They, they come twice a year, Christmas and Easter. Um, and then you have other people that attend on Sunday morning some of the time and some that are Sunday morning most of the time and even some that are Sunday morning faithfully. Mm-hmm. But Sunday morning is it. That's the end of it. This isn't supposed to reach into my life any further than that. And I think that the distinctive about those people will they will find themselves in this situation where they are being tossed around by every as it says here every wind of doctrine they're being convinced of every strange idea that comes down the pike you hear somebody on the television espousing some strange point of view in the name of god and you're like how did they get there how did how did that person you know, why do they have followers well they have followers because there's people out there who don't have the depth they've not they've not gone beyond the very surface layer they've not done anything to move toward any kind of spiritual maturity and therefore they're susceptible to that kind of stuff so if if you want to protect yourself from being led astray by those whackadoodle false teachers <laughs> the way that you do that is to see to your own spiritual growth and spiritual maturity
1: and i think when when you're reading this when it's talking about you know you're you're no longer children tossed to and fro by the waves so so the waves and the winds of doctrine i think are two separate things so when it talks about being tossed to and fro by the waves that That expression literally comes out of the gospels from one of the storm miracles where the storm comes onto the sea of Galilee and the, everything being tossed to and fro. Um, in this, if you ever watch someone that's in a flash flood and they, they send people out to go rescue them, Mm -hmm. what do they, what do they do? They form a chain, right? Right. And so one person will grab, you know, the the Roman arm grip, solid grip and right. then they form a chain to go out to rescue that person. But if you just had one person going out into those waters all by themselves, they'd be I mean they'd be gone. Right. They'd be totally swept away. And so the idea is, you know, a little child that goes out into the waters of the beach, <laughs> they just get they just get crushed and thrown around and 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 if you're carried around by every wind of doctrine, um, you're going you're gonna to be a mess. And we say, well, we don't we don't have that problem. But the reality is, that if you're in ministry or you know humanity well enough, you can take people that that follow Christ, but they're not deeply rooted. They're not growing more and more mature. Right. When the storm comes in their life, you see that they've got screwed up doctrine. Because what do they say? God has failed me. Uh, God doesn't love me. Yeah. Look at my circumstances and therefore, and it's like, no, 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 no. This, this is bad understanding of who God is and how he works, you know, and, and everybody's going to get angry at God, but that's a failure of faith. But if you're deeply rooted in the scriptures and you know who God is, you know, that's ultimately going to allow you to stand firm. And I love where he goes with this because it's like, okay, you're, you're a child, you're on your own. Um, being knocked around by the waves and carried about like a seed on the winds. You know, you're just not planted. You end up, you know, random places. But it says, rather, speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up. That's an agricultural term of something that's taken root. It's firmly planted, and it's growing up. And it says, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it's equipped. Well, what is that talking about? That means I'm connected with you and I'm connected with the church and I'm connected with this community of believers and because I am so joined and held together in this healthy community, this one body through one spirit and one faith and one hope that I have become firmly planted immovable and so when the waves come and they try to toss to and fro i'm not moving i I'm not going to be blown around by every wind of new doctrine because i'm firmly. Planted. Mm-hmm. And when each part is working properly and we're held together, this again blows apart this notion that you can be a healthy Christian in isolation.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You cannot do it. Yeah. The scriptures destroy that argument. Uh, but when each part is working properly, it makes the whole body grow so that it builds itself up in love.
0: I'm going to uh, – it's a very small soapbox, but I'm going to climb on my soapbox here for just a minute because uh, back in the day in the Bible college, back in the 1970s um, – yes, I'm that old. Thank you very much. <clears throat> um, <laughs> This phrase, "speaking the truth in love," was like this this cop out kind of. <laughs>
1: I'm. Spe- I know where I'm you're going. That wasn't just in, in the '70s.
0: I'm just speaking the truth in love, which basically means that it's this is your defense for saying something really
1: awful. Yeah, I'm hurtful. about to beat you in the face.
0: Yes, but I'm because I love you. I'm going to tell you this truth about yourself that's just going to break you down and just and. The the, the first thing I want to say is that this doesn't have anything to do with truth as you see it. When it says speaking the truth in love, this is referring to the word of God. It is referring to the word of God. Mm -hmm. It's referring to speaking the truth of God's word in love because there's nothing else that's going to make somebody grow up into Christ. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Me speaking truth as I perceive it, even if it happens to be truth, isn't going to make you grow up. Me speaking the truth of God's word is, in love to you So these people that say That's my excuse For saying yeah. anything I want I'm like okay And so you will misinterpret Other scriptures also To the detriment Of everybody around you
1: <laughs> Yeah it's awful I mean remember Where we started Humility yes. Gentleness Right <laughs> Most of the time When you hear people say Like you're talking about When you hear someone says I'm just speaking the truth In love Gentleness has zero To do it's with like, it Humility
0: yeah. Out the window <laughs> Patience not there Yeah I not know It's true and so if you need to be speaking his truth to the people that you're speaking to in love, because that's what's going to cause them to grow. And if it, I have never one time. Been in a meeting where somebody has said, hey, just speaking the truth in love, where anybody was growing in any way.
1: Yes, we're just building each other up in love now.
0: Yes, never (laughs) has that happened. So if you're somebody who's been guilty of saying that, other than making a joke, I'll make the joke sometimes. Hey, you know, speaking the truth in love. If you're not making fun of yourself, if you really think that that's what you're supposed to be doing, that this is your reason, just because you care so deeply about somebody that you can go in there and rip them apart, that's not what this is talking about here. There's time for intervention. There's time for tough love and to talk to people, but it's not something that's being talked about here. So stop right. using this verse as a cover for your bad behavior.
1: Yeah, we don't advance the truth to win an argument so that our pride can be stroked. We advance the truth to win a person to Christ. Right. And so, if your language is not accomplishing that, you're not speaking the truth and love the way the Bible is talking about it.
0: Yeah, as I said, it was a small soapbox. We didn't stay no, on that's it for a a long, but, like, but that's one of my soapboxes <laughs> I wanted to get to when we when we got to this passage. But um, you know, and it, it is this is it's intensely practical stuff. But all of these things. These will not be possible unless you really begin to believe and to accept and to get behind the truths that you've been reading for the first three chapters of Ephesians. None of this is going to happen apart from the faith that you have to believe the truth of what God says about you so that you can live this way. You are not going to live this way based on your own strength and just want to. There's nobody's got enough want to to do this
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. I had, I had a good buddy of mine who actually works here who's, um, he's been given lots of ministry opportunities in a recovery ministry. So sure. He's going to be teaching and leading. And he came into my office, uh, um, yesterday actually. And he says, man, I'm really struggling. You know, they're asking me to, to do all of these leadership things and I just don't feel like I'm, I'm good enough. And it was like, <laughs> pull up a chair, <laughs> you know, and, and the reality is like we're not. That's that's what makes this so wild. Like, in and of myself, I am totally unworthy of this calling. Right, but it's not myself I look to. It's like you know, when Paul he has he prays that this thorn is going to be taken away from him, which I think is probably Paul has had a struggle, some kind of struggle in the flesh or sinful, whatever. And God comes back and says these words. It's so liberating. He says, my grace is sufficient for you. Right. My power is made perfect in your weakness. And so there's other places where Paul is talking about, "I'm if I'm going to boast, I'm going to boast in my weakness. Yes. So as a believer, that's what we get to do. And it doesn't mean that we revel in it. It's not like I'm a dirtbag and proud of it. No, that's not what it's talking about. But it's saying... My identity is so rooted in God's love. He is so good to me, and his mercies are so extreme that I'm not undone by the fact that I'm weak. I can celebrate it. Like, I'm never going to be good enough to warrant who God is. I'm never going to be strong enough in my own. And I can boast in that. I can let people see it. I don't have to hide behind a mask. I get to to live who I am because of who he is. And walk in that kind of assurance that it's his goodness, not mine, that's at the core of <laughs> of who I am yeah. and how I live. Yeah. Well, we're going to let that stand as
0: our last word here on the first half of Ephesians chapter 4. We will be back with more in our next episode. But in the meantime, we do want to encourage you, if you're, uh, if you're not uh, in church on Sunday mornings, you're not following along with the message series, one body, one mission, this study from the book of Ephesians that's going on right now at Rio Vista church, all of those Sunday messages, which work, you know, which work hand in glove here with the, uh, the podcasts that we're doing. The podcasts are a longer format and we have an opportunity to kind of walk more slowly through the verses, but the, the pastors have been doing some great teaching on Sunday mornings too. And there's these really, really impactful and meaningful messages that, uh, if you, you need to be listening to them as well as the podcast to get both sides of things. So if you want to go to our website at reavistachurch.com or if you want to look for Ria Vista Community Church in your favorite app store for your device and download our smartphone app, you can find all of the messages in One Body, One Mission in there. And we do encourage you to keep up with those as well as this podcast. Um, as always, if you would like to send us an email, we've got an email address out of water at riovistachurch.com. If you've got a question or comment about something that you've heard today, something you want us to go more in depth with, or, or just uh, you'd like to suggest a topic for us to, to talk about here on the show, we'd love to hear from you. We'll see you in the next one. We hope you enjoyed your time with us, and you will both subscribe to the podcast and listen regularly. You can find out more about Out of Water, catch up on past episodes, and access show notes at our website, riovistachurch.com slash outofwater.